Stories, fables, ghostly tales. You know, at some point, safety just is pure waste. I mean, if you want to be safe, don't get out of bed. Don't get in your car. Don't do anything. At some point, you're going to take some risk, and it really is a risk-reward question. I think I can do this just as safely by breaking the rules. In your race to Titanic, you are mirroring that famous catch cry: "She is unsinkable." I've grown tired of industry players who try to use a safety argument to stop innovation and new entrants from entering their small existing market. We have heard the baseless cries of "You are going to kill someone" way too often. I take this as a serious, personal insult. You're remembered for the rules you break. The quotes you've heard are echoes of clashing opinions, arguments, and discussions between the CEO of OceanGate, and relate to the tragedy that befell those involved regarding the Titan submersible. And this tragedy is what we'll be exploring in depth. In today's story, we'll explore across multiple episodes. Exploring all avenues of OceanGate and the Titan's demise, we're going to explore a number of key points, namely the start of the expedition, who is OceanGate, how did it start, who was Stockton Rush, the controversy prior to the ship's failure, the warnings pitched towards OceanGate regarding the Titan, concerns from the industry such as the Maritime Technology Society, who the four people who were brought on the submersible with Rush. Their backgrounds and what drove them to join Rush. Why did it fail and how badly did it fail? Who didn't go and why? And what have we learned? Before I start, I want to put forward a disclaimer that I am not a qualified engineer. I've done my best to actually number crunch where I can and interpret the best I could from data, interviews, reports, opinions, and fact-checked as much as I could. If I've made any mistakes, please let me know in the show comments. So who is OceanGate? OceanGate was founded by Guillermo Sondland and Stockton Rush in 2009. Originally based in Seattle, then moved to Everett, Washington, the company's goal was to create a small fleet of five-person commercial submersibles that could be leased by any organization or group of individuals to explore the depths of the sea via these small passenger-sized submarines. OceanGate owned three submersibles. The Cyclops One, a mini submersible that seats five people, successful in its goal and utilized game controllers to navigate. Antipods, coral exploration, successful with 130 trips. The Titan, one quarter of a dive in the first test, propulsion systems failed, no completed dive as of yet, but the next dive led to catastrophic failure. OceanGate had an initial track record of success with their submersibles, but not with the Titan. So what exactly went wrong? To understand this, we need to take a look at the CEO Stockton Rush, the design of the submersible, and the faults that were either potentially overlooked, ignored, or had some kind of potential flaw in the design concept that ultimately ended the lives of five innocent people. So let's have a look at what Russian achieved in his lifetime. Then we can learn from what he said. Rush was born in California in 1962, where his family made its fortune from oil and shipping. He grew up in a prestigious boarding school. Phillips Exeter Academy, New Hampshire. At 19, he was the youngest pilot to qualify for a jet transport rating, 
the highest pilot training obtainable. Rush also obtained his bachelor's degree of aerospace in 1984, so that would make him 22 at the time. His ultimate goal was to reach Mars, wanting to join the US space program, but as time went on, his thoughts turned away from Big Red and instead to the sea, quoting that he believes will never make Mars habitable. I quote Rush, If someone would tell me what the commercial or military reason to go to Mars is, I would believe it's going to happen. Mr. Rush told Fast Company magazine, It's just a dream. Skip to 2009, where OceanGate is founded. His wife is the director of communications, was also a member of Princeton University in 1984, where his desire to explore the depths and Titanic specifically began. As far as people critiquing Rush on his personality from within his own company, it was put forward as a leader who led from the front, passionate, and instilled that passion in others, with his wife looking over his shoulders to make sure he didn't cut any corners. But from the evidence put forward in news articles, interviews with the press, and litigation documents, this is where a different perspective begins to be established. And Oceangate particularly, certainly come off as a very different kind of company on both Rush and Oceangate. And as you dig deeper and deeper, you learn more and more about key decisions and key inputs that would change the fate of those involved in this tragedy. Amidst all the data, one could say that Rush was not a victim of happenstance or the outcome of a Titan was based on an unforeseeable error that created a failure, or that anyone with his knowledge and experience wouldn't have the intellect or expertise to remedy key concerns put forward. And in fact, quite the contrary, someone with that experience would probably lean to other experts, potentially. Had Rush listened to the experts to appropriately determine the risks, there may very well have been a very different outcome for the Titan trip. It is in fact key inputs from data gathered found in the communications between maritime experts that indicate ultimately what may have played a huge part in the demise of the Titan and its crew. One could assume that due to sheer bad luck or some kind of unfortunate uncontrollable event could have led to the submersible to fail. But there is a different perspective in that it's these decisions by Rush which led to this outcome and the sad deaths of four others. Rush's attitude towards safety protocol and outright defiance against those that respectfully disagree with him and implored him to take different measures, specifically the concerns regarding the desire to cut corners where possible and the lack of certification on the Titan's materials plus designs led to deep worries from the industry around safety and certification. Rush also brushed aside and ignored the submersible industry's advice on how to build a submersible that could reach the 4,000 meters they desired preferring experimental and untested approaches that ultimately steal their fate. And on the note of industry advice, let's start with the Marine Technology Society, MTS, and their communications issued March 27th, 2018, a whole five years prior to this incident, that had raised concerns about OceanGate's design. Dear Stockton, this letter is out on behalf of our industry members who have collectively expressed unanimous concern regarding the development of Titan and the planned Titanic expedition. Our apprehension is that the current experimental approach adopted by OceanGate could result in negative outcomes from minor to catastrophic that would have serious consequences for everyone in the industry. The MEV industry has earned itself an enviable safety track record over the past 40 years. This is partly due to the diligent engineering discipline and professional approach exercised by members of the industry, but also due to the collective observation of and adherence to 
a variety of safety standards. This reputation is solid because it was hard won over many years of diligent application and has resulted in a safe and successful record of operation. Our members are all aware of how important and precious this standing is and deeply concerned that a single negative event could undo this. Your marketing material advertises that the Titan design will meet or exceed the DNV GL safety standards, yet it does not appear that OceanGate has the intention of following DNV GL class rules. Your representation is, at a minimum, misleading to the public and breaches an industry-wide professional code of conduct we all endeavor to uphold. We do all agree that a performance-based testing program for design verification is a recognized and valid approach to new technologies. However, we recommend that at a minimum you institute a prototype testing program that is reviewed and witnessed by DNVGL or ABS. While this may demand additional time and expense, it is our unanimous view that this validation process by a third party is a critical component in the safeguards that protect all submersible occupants. Together, we are all beneficiaries of the excellent safety record of MEV operations over the years. But each of us is also a steward with the responsibility to sustain this achievement. We would be grateful if you could confirm that OceanGate can see the future benefit of its investment in adhering to our industry accepted safety guidelines and protocols for ultimate success and that of the MEV community. So let me do a quick summary to condense this all. Here are the dot points. Your approach is experimental and untested. Risk of failure is possible. The MUV industry is built on safety protocols. Your negligence is putting the industry at risk. Marketing materials are outright lies based on completely untested materials. Use a prototype sub to test your material even if it costs more. Lives are at stake and data is important. Stick to the guidelines and nobody gets hurt. Rush's response to this feedback was as follows. So this is from Stockton Rush to Rob McCallum. I know that our engineering process and innovative approach, as opposed to an existing standards compliance focused design process, flies in the face of the submersible orthodoxy, but that is the nature of innovation. I have grown tired of industry players who try to use a safety argument to stop innovation and new entrants from entering their small existing market. Since Guglielmo and I started OceanGate, we have heard the baseless cries of you are going to kill someone way too often. I take this as a serious personal insult. You get the sense that Rush is fed up with dealing with safety regulations and protocols that can plague the industry. And that pushback may have made him blind or even hostile to anyone offering an opinion. I'm not justifying or supporting Rush's approach. What I want to explain is what its headspace could have been at this point. One where all opposing advice is seen as predatory, negative, and without credibility because that is his existing prejudice towards the industry based on previous experience or limitations put on him. Only a guess on my part, but that's what I'm reading from these communications. Rob's response to Rush was, I think you're potentially placing yourself and your client in a dangerous dynamic. Ironically, in your race to Titanic, you are mirroring that famous catch cry, she is unsinkable. Having dived the Titanic and having stood it in a coroner's court as a technical expert, it would be remiss of me not to bring this to your attention. So, who is Robert McCallum? A maritime and expedition expert. One of three submersible experts who signed this letter to Rush. This wasn't an attempt to push a small-time player out 
of the Submersible League. It was an attempt to save lives, deploy safety measures where possible, and ensure due diligence by having Russia's Titan tested and approved thoroughly, at the cost of time, and of course, the expense to carry that out. And their concerns are not the only ones expressed within the industry. Hell, it was even within their own cohort that vocalized serious concerns. But I'll get to that. Russia's experimental approach was also what really shook the experts to their core and got them noticing what he was doing. Not because it was avant-garde, innovative, or inspirational per se, but because it was thought of as reckless, without appropriate testing, and with complete disregard for the need to fit within safety guidelines. Safety guidelines that were based on decades of testing and approved materials for a very good reason. Any miscalculation in the deep sea is really like being in space. Actually, it's worse. At least in space, you can leave in a spacesuit. But underwater, you're going to get crushed like a Coke can. You have no recourse. You have no resources at your immediate fingertips. You can't simply get out and fix a sensor without having the parts to do so. So backup features and components need to be stress tested to endure those sorts of environments. The materials need to be stress tested and fit for purpose. And the board that reviewed the Titan and its progress felt otherwise and was starting to get worried. But I digress. A former contractor stated that the experimental approach wasn't just using materials like carbon fiber in the ship's design, which right off the bat is untested as a core material. And I'll get into that detail in part two. But the literal off-the-shelf acquisition of materials for parts of the sub. Rush bought numerous components from places like Camper World, stating that you can take these components off the shelf and incorporate them into a project like this where you don't have the research and development timelines and expense that I believe is a wise choice. I mean, it is wise, but only to an extent. Perhaps he did that, he just pushed the envelope in some areas. But where you have certified and approved backup systems to support what you're initially putting into the submersible in the first place, that's when it gets a concern. So we don't know what else Rush could have cut corners on, or potentially ignored completely as a possible industry standard requirement. And that really harkens back to the original concerns put forward by McCallum. But I mean, it's not like Rush would compromise or ignore anything critical to the submersible, right? Right? Enter David Lockridge, the Director of Marine Operations in charge of safety measures at Ocean Gate at the time, who was fired in 2018 for producing a report that specifically targeted design flaws and material integrity related to the Titan. I quote, Lockridge first expressed verbal concerns over the safety and quality control issues regarding the Titan to Ocean Gate executive management. The complaint says these verbal communications were ignored. I think we've all been in a position where we've got the expertise and people are ignoring it. But in this case, people's lives were at stake. So Lockridge pushed further. So Lockridge then pushed the envelope a bit further. Specifically, Lockridge wanted OceanGate to carry out what was called non-destructive testing. Now, my understanding is that this is a testing that's focused on detection of potentially existing flaws in their material in order to ensure a solid and safe product for the safety of the passengers and crew. Imagine being offered a ride to the moon and you were told that the materials used to make this ship has yet to be certified or a prototype has yet to be tested. That's where you come in. Backup systems may or may not be fully functional. We have numerous backup wireless controls, but no way to physically plug in and control the ship directly. Also, we'll be sealing all of you in until you get to your destination. You'll need us to let you out. Would you take this trip? 
Would you sign that disclaimer absolving your potential death? How much do you want to visit the moon? Lockridge was told that no form of equipment existed to perform such tests, and OceanGate instead would rely solely on their acoustic monitoring systems that they were going to install in the submersible to detect the start of hull breakdown when the submersible was about to fail. Lockridge again expressed concerns that this was problematic because this type of acoustic analysis would only show when a component is about to fail, often milliseconds before an implosion, and would not detect any existing flaws prior to putting pressure onto the hull. So basically you're flying blind until this sensor goes, hey, there's a problem, but that sensor only activates one millisecond before you meet your untimely demise. So I can see why Lockridge has a concern. So one of your experts has identified a catastrophic outcome for your submersible and that your alert system is more like an alert blurb. And as mentioned, there's no time to respond. In fact, the human body can only respond to changes in stimuli within a 25 millisecond threshold. And this sensor operates at a one millisecond rate before things turn pear-shaped. So unless you're Superman or the Flash, there's no way your crew can react in time. Not only that, there is no chance at all to react because the hull would be compromised at a depth of 1300 meters. You can't even ascend at that speed without nitrogen bubbles forming in your blood cells, even if you wanted to get out and you had seconds before that sensor could potentially let you know. Sensors are so important in submersibles. And folks, as I researched this, I outwardly said, Mamma mia, this is so bad and so much worse than I ever thought it could be. Lockridge's report noted the prevalent flaws in the testing of smaller scale models, proposing maybe a one third of the submersible, which would allow all flaws in the carbon fiber end samples to be visible for the Titan a sort of stress test that would identify the potential danger to passengers as the submersible went ever deeper into the ocean depths. A sort of mini prototype that lets you see what would happen to the ship without sending people down there physically. A way to, yeah, see what happens without putting people in danger, basically. Now, my notes in interviews, Lockridge met his own engineering department initially to discuss this further and was met with direct hostility towards his concerns. And Lockridge was actually denied access to the necessary documentation that should have been freely available as part of his inspection process. He then conducted his own inspection report that outlined all of these key concerns. Lockridge also then found out why he had been denied access. There was vital information regarding the viewport information, and this is a big one. The small porthole viewing section where people can look out of, the viewport at the forward of the submersible was only built to certified pressures of 1,300 meters. Although, OceanGate intended to take passengers down to the depths of 4,000 meters. Now, it's not conclusive if that trip that Rush was taking them on, the most recent one, was intentionally passed or at the 1,300 threshold and then some. We don't know. But what experts do believe is that the Titan did reach a depth of 3,500 meters based on the one hour and 45 minutes into the expedition where contact was lost. But if he pushed past that threshold even a little bit, I'll explain what happens. But the goal ultimately was to take passengers down to the depths of 4,000 meters. Lockridge stated that OceanGate refused to pay the manufacturer to make the porthole withstand 4,000 meter depth of pressure. This was an acrylic based porthole as well, opposed to let's say glass, but again, I'm not an expert in this space, there's still a lot to explore as to why they chose acrylic opposed to, let's say, aluminium or any other material. 
to support the porthole. Now, behaviors of materials change when they're exposed to certain pressures. Now, at 1,300 meters below sea level, specifically how much a material can withstand, or rather its structural integrity underwater, i.e. before things implode, really comes into question when it surpasses that threshold. For example, 1,300 meters below sea level equates to 125.82 atmospheres. To put it in perspective, that's 1,291,534 kilograms per square meter, okay? So you're in this tiny space, and that's how much pressure is being applied per square meter. And at 4,000 meters below sea level, this equates to 387 atmospheres, which is 3,998,590 kilograms per square meter. That ship would not have had a chance. Had it have passed the 1,300 meter threshold, which experts say they would have got to 3,800 instead of the certified 1,300 meters porthole. That's not just pushing the envelope. That really is a whole different tier of pressure to deal with. And I found myself saying out loud, what? Seriously? How could they think that 1,300 meters is enough to withstand such a pressure difference? But remember, the goal isn't to surpass that amount. My thoughts are that it's just to get there so you can see it. But here's where it gets a bit morbidly interesting, in that the comparison between going from the certified 1,300 meters to the Titanic 3,810 meters is quite a gap. So let's have a look at that gap specifically. The Titanic alone is at 3,810 meters, minus the 1,300, and this is a discrepancy of 261 atmospheres, aka 2,717,056 kilograms per square meters. That porthole was not certified to withstand. Not only the original distance they traveled, but also even the discrepancy. And I wish my maths were actually wrong here. Maybe they are. I'm keen for the, the actual engineers to step on in. I did some basic mathematics and used some tools online to calculate those atmospheres and, and that kind of pressure. And I found myself again yelling out aloud, this is absurd. I never knew how much pressure these submersibles were dealing with whilst down there. Unfathomable. All of which, these materials were uncertified or tested in those depths. Going off the reports put forward by Lockridge, that is. And to make things worse, in a statement by Lockridge, the paying passengers would not be aware and would not be informed of this experimental design. The lack of non-destructive testing on the hull, or that hazardous flammable materials were being used within the submersible. So paying customers may not have been aware of the significant risks they were putting themselves into. Sure, there was a disclaimer, a signing of a contract to absolve them of death, but the extent of that risk maybe wasn't so clear. Lockridge vocalized his opinion again and was then told by OceanGate staff to clear out his desk in 10 minutes and to get off the premise. The information is gleaned from the lawsuit between OceanGate and Lockridge. In a 2022 interview with CBS News, Rush told reporter David Pogue that there is a limit to safety precautions. You know, at some point, safety just is pure waste, Rush said. I mean, if you just want to be safe, don't get out of bed, don't get in your car, don't do anything, and at some point, you're going to take some risk. 
and it really is a risk-reward situation. I think I can do this just as safely by breaking the rules. Breaking the rules of safety, my friends, comes with its own industry-wide saying. Safety standards are written in blood. This is where we will stop for now, but I'll continue on to part two next Monday, where I'll deep dive into the Titanus design, its physicality, the timelines of its demise, I will literally get into the nuts and bolts of the Titan, what could have been the problem that led to its uh, implosion, what implosion actually is, and believe you me, that is terrifying. And of course, the further controversy surrounded by that awful incident and the people involved. I think it's important to also re remember those that went down there and learn a bit more about them as well. Understand their intentions, what pulled or drew them in. So please join me for the next episode where I'll go into more detail. And it just gets more and more fascinating, I guarantee you, especially around the materials used and, and the fundamental designs behind that. All I'm going to say is it's important for contiguous materials to be present in a submersible. And I'll even gesticulate and guess what could have actually happened when they hit that 1,300 meter mark, including some contradictory news details where one news report says one thing, but people like James Cameron and a couple other experts in the field comment contradictory perspectives of when and when the Titan imploded. Again, thank you for listening, mates. A huge thank you to the lovelies that support this podcast. This is something different than I normally do. And sometimes I find something that I'm passionate about like this and want to learn how on earth these sorts of catastrophes still take place. A big, big thank you to my Patreon supporters. My Ode Night T Titan, Matostar, who pulls me to the deepest of the depths within the ocean to touch the ocean floor, safely wrapped in a bubble of my own to observe the darkest of ocean's wonders. Thanks to you, mate. I've been able to line up more music from Epidemic Sound this week in lieu of the new Evil Bread episode that will be coming out not next week, but the week after. I'm constantly writing those episodes myself and from scratch, so it takes a lot of time. And music is carefully selected to ensure it fits perfectly. Thank you, Matto Star, for making it possible and really rocket filling those episodes with your support. Also, I'll be putting time aside this weekend to respond to you, Matto, so keep your eyes and ears primed this weekend, my friend. And Leza Bazooka Rex, thank you for your amazing support. I've been able to secure more and more sound effects for the podcast, and I've been looking particularly for AI voice modulators, a way of altering my voice in the most unique but effective way possible. Thank you immensely, man, for your support, and I cannot wait to implement the sound in the next Evil Bread stories. Cheers, you legend. Also, I want to thank my Ograin forces and Patreon supporters. I'm lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaele, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, and Jane Gumnick. Thank you, you epically kind people. Lastly, don't forget to leave a review. I really love iTunes ones, so if you have 10 seconds spare, that goes a long way to help me find more epic people like yourself to listen to the show. And if you want to support the show, you can visit my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. I don't run ads, and I never will, so I appreciate any love I get sent my way. Very, very much the last note. I've got about 14 different bibliography references. Um, by all means, hop on to those, check them out. They pertain strictly to the Ocean Gate and the Titan, 
and I'll be bringing in new documents and new sets of information specifically for the next episode as well to support my understandings of what went down regarding Ocean Gate and the Titan. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavouring is precise, like a story, let it flow, let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together, and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again. Enjoy your week, you legends. <laughs>